Welcome to Blue Jays Happy Hour, episode 47. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And today we have a companion episode to our previous episode. So on last episode, we talked about everything positive that happened to the 2022 Blue Jays. We felt like it was a good time to do that in the wake of their just heart-wrenching playoff loss. However, you know, some negative stuff happened as well. So we're going to talk about that. That's going to be the focus of this episode. Maybe, uh, yeah, not the most upbeat, but it needs to be done. So, Stone, I think we're going to talk a lot about pitching today, aren't we? I suspect so, yeah. There, I mean, there are things on the negative side on the position player front as well, but uh, pitching is the headliner for sure. Yeah, and the, that starts, in my view, with Jose Barrios, to be honest. Uh, you know, this is a guy who is an opening day starter for the Blue Jays. Now, we've had Drew Hutchison be the opening day starter for a good Blue Jays team in the past, so we know that that label doesn't mean everything. But a player that they gave a pretty significant extension to, who they traded pretty highly thought of prospects for, looked pretty good in uh, in 2021 down the stretch there. He looked like the guy yeah. that they had made that investment in. And then this year came out, laid an egg in the first game of the season and really, you know, never got on track. Ranked 43rd of 45 qualified pitchers in war and had the worst ERA of any of them. Stone, I don't know about you, but I feel like I never pinned down exactly what the hell was going on with Jose Brios. Do you feel like you have a better insight on that? No, absolutely not. I mean, I know there was talk of tipping at some point. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you hope that you find out. We haven't yet, but you hope you find out, like, oh, there was something physical that maybe was hurting him. But it never looked like, you know, it didn't look like the stuff was, was there. It just looked like command wasn't there for him this year. Um, it could have been the tipping. It could, you know, there are there are some scary things in his uh i mean well his his 2022 like if you look at the the uh the stat cast uh percentile rankings i mean that page is ugly but but there you know he's never been the stat cast darling kind of guy and it it, it it became easier you know as you know the performance was decoupled from success to look you know to look at some of the red flags i know i remember looking back at uh you know his record against teams uh above 500 which historically has been you know not good um uh, but i I, but honestly i mean i think you you know the same reasons you believed in him when you signed him to the contract are are things that are still there today which is the stuff and the durability um it's just the results weren't there and I, i don't i don't know i really don't know what the what the difference was but they did seem you know the tipping thing is interesting because they did seem to uh battle that and and you know, like demonstrably make changes to, you know, the, the, his mechanics and to, or not necessarily his mechanics, but to his windup and, you know, the, the mouth guard thing. And, and they, there were things they were doing along the way that indicated that they thought that was an issue as well. So hopefully that is all it is. And hopefully that could get, you know, uh, rectified because that, because it's a problem if he's, if that's who he is. Yeah. And, you know, on the previous episode, I talked about how I wouldn't be in a hurry to sign Alec Manoa to extension, basically for the reason that he's a pitcher. Uh, and Jose Barrios, on the other hand, was a guy that had this insane track record of durability and reliability in terms of his performance, where you felt like, hell, if you're going to give a pitcher that long-term extension, this is the guy you do it with. And then all of a sudden, he just comes out and, and lays an absolute egg, as I said, in the first start. And it got better from there. It was odd, though, because it seemed like there were all these individual moments along the way where you could point to 
him finding something, whether it was moving on the mound, like you said, the way he kind of messed around with the windup to avoid tipping related things. Later in the season, he really hammered the changeup as one of his big featured pitches, which is something he never really did before. And he thought, okay, well, maybe this is a way to get guys off the four-seam fastball. Maybe this is a way to deal with left-handed hitters. That's been an issue for him. And at the end of the day, none of that really, none of that really worked. And so that's a little bit troubling. But like you said, he's still relatively young. The stuff is still there. What we saw this year feels like the worst manifestations of faults we knew existed already. Like we knew his fastball wasn't really a great pitch. Like it's a pitch that he uses to keep people off that big breaking ball. Mm-hmm. We knew that left-handed hitters, because he's got such a horizontally oriented pitching repertoire where things are coming into the him, them, especially uh, that signature breaking ball. We knew that when guys stack lefties against Barrios, that can be an issue at times, but both of those things just got so much worse than we envisioned. And so I don't know if that, I don't know if that's a positive or negative thing. Like, is it a positive that these things are all kind of within the realm of things we understood about him and he hasn't created any new faults or is it a negative because it's easy. It's harder to dismiss these things because there's been hints of it in the past. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's hard not to be a negative when when there's no longer a safety net of like, you know, you could non-tender a guy or you could, you know, or he's, he's close to free agency. I mean, he's around and expensive for a long time. So it, it, it is imperative on them to, uh, to get this sorted. And I would be fascinated. And I don't, you know, they would never say it publicly what they really think, but I would be fascinated to know what the Blue Jays really think is going on there and what they, you know, what they're aiming to do to fix it. Um, because yeah, it, and it's just, it's sort of unprecedented. Right? I mean, I, I think there are a few examples, but like guys that young falling off that badly. Uh, I tried to, I, I, in the middle of the season at some point, I tried to look at, you know, some numbers. I don't remember Ubaldo Jimenez was, uh, was one of the names in there. I was just like, oh God, I don't know if I want to continue with this exercise. Um, you know, but it, it, he's like, for a young guy with the stuff still good to have a season like that after like having so many seasons of, of, like, of success. Uh, is really weird, and I know people people like to talk about the divisions and stuff like that, and I really I really don't think that's it. And I think we saw in twenty twenty one, like you said, you know, he was outstanding. His numbers in in Toronto were better than his numbers in Minnesota after he came over after the trade led, uh, trade deadline. Um, you know, there he he he's a really good pitcher who just had a terrible season. I mean, I hope that, like that's sort of a glib way to look at it, but hopefully that's all it is. And hopefully, you know, we, he just puts it behind him because yeah, the Jays, this is, this is a key to the off season. I see a lot of people talking about pitching. We're going to be talking about pitching, but like the need to add more pitching. Uh, and, and that's because you don't know what you're going to get with him and with a couple of the other guys uh, behind him in the rotation. Yeah. I'm inclined to believe that he's going to bounce back just because of this huge track record. Like you said, he's looked good in the AL East before when he came to Toronto also, if coming to the AL East was like a death knell for pitchers, we would have seen that with Kevin Gosman, right? Like sure. a lot of people were worried about him coming from San Francisco, which is a great environment to pitch, and coming to Toronto and how that would affect his stats. And I don't know. The reality is if you're good enough, you're probably good enough to handle that situation, even if it's slightly more difficult. But right now, the good thing, and I know this is the negativity episode, but the good thing for the Blue Jays is that Gosman has really established himself as that, you know, a top two guy in a rotation, which I'm not sure he necessarily even needed to do, but he kind of had a year and a half of that with the Giants. 
you add another year at the Blue Jays in a harder scenario. Now you've got two and a half years of a guy performing that level. You feel pretty good about that. And then Manoa got better. So now you are paying Barrios and you are tied to Barrios for a significant amount of time. It's not like there's no concern there. But Barrios is there doesn't have the same pressure to be that kind of number one-ish guy because he never really was. He was more of a really good two, probably. And now for yes. the Blue Jays, he's kind of probably going to be their three. And I again, I'm just in, I'm inclined to believe that he can be at least that good. And if he performs like a number three starter, his contract will look sort of fine. Um, you know, I think the Blue Jays, when they signed the contract, might have imagined, oh, if he's like the guy that he's always been essentially through this deal. And I understand why they would have thought that, because, again, so much consistency in his track record. I thought the deal looked pretty good at the time, and maybe we're going to have to readjust our priors. And instead of like, this is a great value, it's like, okay, this is sort of cost certainty to hold down the middle of the rotation. Yeah. And, you know, that is that, that it would be a fine outcome. Uh, you know, it's just, I, but then you have to think, like, what happens if this happens again? Like, then where are you? Then you're like, then you're like, how do, we, how do we, which prospect do we tie to him to get the money off the books? You know, kind of a situation, which is uh, not where you want to be. Um, but yeah, I, there's lots of reasons to believe in him. But obviously, obviously, people are going to have a hard time doing that until they see the results. Yeah, and I mean, we see that a little bit with Ryu now, and I want to kind of move to the back yeah. end of the rotation because that's another thing that was an issue for the Blue Jays and projects to be an issue going forward, like where you pay Ryu this money and you're really not getting anything for it at the end of the contract. And you can argue how valuable that 2020 push was and how Ryu really drove that, and he was probably a little bit underrated in 2021 as well. So I don't want to totally bury the idea of that contract per se. There's a lot of kind of soft factors in terms of that being a statement of intent and again very hard to quantify the value on that but the reality is that heading into 2022 Ryu and Kikuchi looked like a pretty good four or five uh you know Ryu yeah. had been at least that level in 2021 and you thought maybe there was a bounce back there Kikuchi like wildly talented for a guy who was gonna be a fifth starter you knew that he had a bad second half but at the same time, you don't necessarily want to overreact to that. Gosman kind of had a bad second half as well and you didn't bury him. And obviously that's a different caliber of pitcher and track record. But I don't think when you sign pitchers, you're not like who was good in the second half of the season. I don't think that's necessarily the way to look at it. I felt pretty optimistic heading into the season that, oh, okay, one of the things that Blue Jays are going to have going for them is that on any given day, you know, we we knew Kikuchi, there was some inconsistency baked in, but at the same time, I felt like coming into the season on any given day, there's a pretty good chance that the Blue Jays have a starting pitching advantage against whoever they're playing. And you combine that with this lineup, and that's when people start to say, you know, AL East favorites, one of the World Series favorites, because that's a pretty compelling story to tell, even if we thought the bullpen might have some issues. And then as it turned out, you know, Ryu was injured and ineffective. Kikuchi was a disaster. They brought Mitch White on later, and that was a problem, although... I think people are too quick to bury him. I think there's still yeah. something there. If Stripling hadn't come along, this would have been an absolute train wreck from kind of third in the rotation on down. But even as it stood, this was one of the biggest shortfalls of the Blue Jays this season. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, Stripling, I mean, we're supposed to be being negative, I guess. But but, but yeah, I, I, like Stripling really did save their season. I mean, it, to to think about what, like it, not just him being there, but the performance that he had. I mean, it, 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 you got to tip your cap to him. I, I, that was incredible. 
And yeah, it, it would have been awful if he wasn't going the way that he was because there just wasn't that extra line of defense. And as we saw, I think you're right. I agree with you completely about Mitch White. What, what, what they need is like three more, two more Mitch Whites, you know, because, uh, you know, Kikuchi, nobody has confidence in. Uh, that was a little, uh, you know, that was a cute signing a little bit. And I, I <laughs> You know, to go back, and we haven't really revisited this this sort of stuff a lot. I know there were some, you know, because every year you get the free agent predictions and what the contracts are going to be. I think it was Dan Borsky at uh, at, at uh, Fangraphs who was like, you know, I don't, I, I he's got to go back to Japan. Like, I don't know why he didn't take that money because that money won't be there because he's just not that good. Uh, and and like like equivalent to the qualifying offer, and then the Jays go guarantee him three years, which I guess there was a market for. Otherwise, you know. Uh, they wouldn't have done that. I mean, they, they obviously they obviously had the highest bid. There probably were teams that were in, interested in him for a couple of years, though. Uh, that, that would have been the reason that uh, that that they did go back with the Mariners when that opportunity was still there. Um, and you know, I don't know if you if you look at where he was in the rankings, uh, you know, just based on his track record, I think a lot of Jays fans talked themselves into and I know I did and I pushed the idea that yeah okay this is the Robbie Ray kind of stuff and this is a guy who they can work with and this is a guy where they're they, you know it was kind of a hubristic move it was, they really felt like they they could get something going with him and it just blew up in their faces incredibly um, which are you know not good I know there's no other way to put that uh, and it's something that they have to, I think, you know, consider. I think that this is a this is a pattern I've sensed with the Blue Jays for a long time—the too clever by half thing—and we see, we see it uh, sort of crop up again and again. Uh, but this is a real, a, a real big one in that category because, I, you know, the the track record for Kikuchi was not there, even if the stuff was, and it was, you know, to to bake him into the rotation for three years. Uh, it was a bit crazy. It was a you know a real a real vote of confidence to him from them that uh, looks like very misguided at this point. Though uh, at the same time, I think you know he can he can certainly be better. He didn't have the command. Pro- you know he wasn't he wasn't this kind of disaster in Seattle. So you know that can get sorted out. White, I think, will be okay. Um, though I understand why a lot of people don't. But yeah, th- th- this is going to be a huge question this winter. Just to, just because of the finite resources that they have, trying to get some you know additional pitching depth. Though there are some prospects coming, that's that's you know asking a lot of a guy who was drafted of Ricky Tiedemann, who was drafted you know last year in the fourth round <laughs> or the third round, uh, to be the guy to be to do the Alec Manoa thing, uh, which he might be capable of. But that's you know that's not really how you want to build out your uh, your your rotation and build you know build your roster for the year ahead. Yeah, I think that hubristic is the right word there. Like, it really was a heat check signing. It was, uh, we're feeling ourselves, you know, kind of like the James Harden last night, just uh, with the <laughs> three that he bricked after breaking a guy's ankle. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but I really liked it at the time. Like, I was higher on it than a lot of people. Again, I got seduced by the stuff. I understand why the same thing happened to the Blue Jays. It is really rare stuff. I don't have a problem with Kikuchi and White sort of competing for a fifth spot there. Uh, if they're both penciled in, then you're in trouble. And the thing that people often, when they're kind of projecting out the roster, are inclined to forget or choose to forget is that injuries happen even in spring training. So if you have 
White and Kikuchi battling for the fifth spot. Like, there's a pretty good chance you're going to have both of them in there at some point. Yeah, uh, and that is a scenario that could conceivably go okay for the Blue Jays. I do think that White is a fifth starter caliber guy. You know, with the Blue Jays, he had the 774 ERA and the 376 FIP. And, you know, FIP isn't the be all and end all. And I think people are getting more and more skeptical of that as a metric. But there was a level of bad luck that occurred with him. And I think given, you know, an off season to work on some things, there's, you know, there's a baseline of talent there. Not an, you know, not an impressive pitcher by any means, but I think they kind of got what they paid for with him, uh, which is not what you would say with Kikuchi on that contract. And when you said that, you know, the market was probably there if they were the highest bidder in that area, one thing to remember is that they have totally overshot the market before. Like, uh, sometimes that happens to a degree in terms of just trying to bring in that high impact player like Springer or Ryu, but I think about Kendry's Morales and that deal where they were just totally out of sync with what everyone else was thinking. And then later in that offseason, people were signing that first base DH type for significantly less than what they got Morales for. And that ended up being a disaster. And this could be that. I don't think it's fair to say for sure that it is that. But, you know, you mentioned it's going to be difficult to get starting rotation help. Like they don't really have guys coming out outside Tiedemann who you feel confident in. A lot of their guys who they thought were rotation death guys have sort of washed out the money, you know, again, starting pitching always in high demand and free agency, you're going to have to spend to get it. And if they want that number four guy or whatever, uh, it is going to be, yeah, it's going to be tricky to fit it all together. And that can be linked back to some of these moves that they made that, you know, clearly aren't paying off right now. Like you look at pitching development overall, Outside of Alec Manoa, huge success story. Tiedemann, you know, that story's still to be written. There were times when we were as optimistic about Nate Pearson as we are now about Tiedemann, and I'm not going to say that he'll have those same health issues, but pitching prospects are tricky. No one who was sort of drafted or developed in this Akin Shapiro era on the pitching side really made an impact this season outside of Manoa. Like they, the guys that they have that are internally developed are uh, Meza and Romano and those guys came in before this regime and they even let Romano go in the in the rule five draft it has gone to the point that there's enough of a sample size where it's I think it's reasonable to be skeptical about this team's ability to develop pitching and that might be the biggest negative to take away from this season yeah I I think it is reasonable I mean I would say I think they really they've really turned you know had to turn around things and really change the way that they did that that maybe we're not getting, we're giving them enough time if we're thinking about it that way. But also, I mean, it's a it is a results uh, oriented business, and clearly the results haven't been there. And and you know, you see the Zulu edit is coming, and and you know they've definitely they've had some guys that they've traded away that 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 could have made up you know the the gap a little bit. Um, but yeah, and this this ends up with you know you have to spend money to fill in the gaps that are left by the fact that your system isn't producing this kind of these kind of players and i think they also part of it is that they were really uh position player focused for a couple of years at the start right that was they were kind of thinking about and maybe this goes back to your uh uh you know overshooting the market thing they were kind of thinking about the cubs thing right? I, I you know i remember people talking about like oh well that you know get the get the strong position player core and then fill it in fill in with free agent pitchers or fill in with some money for the for pitching um not a lot of teams building like that, I don't think, anymore. 
but but yeah, it, it it's it it definitely uh, it is a question that is not unfair to ask. Like, what's going on there? And and, and I I'm inclined to think you know, you know the the what what do they call it the 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 pitching lab the uh, the, the the new thing in Dunedin the player development complex uh, that's relatively new. The pandemic sort of uh, hurt them in that area. There are some reasons to give them a bit more time before we really say, like, what is this? What is this tire fire situation? Why aren't we seeing more results out of this? And also, Alec Manoa is, you know, a pretty big asterisk on their pitching development hasn't worked. But yeah, it, it, I think I think that you're absolutely right to to question that, and it just means they have to be better finding, you know, diamonds in the rough, and that's that is, you know, what every team is out there trying to do. Uh, and and that gets difficult, and that's sort of the position I feel like they're in right now this winter. You know, the, they could find some starting pitching depth on minor league deals or on you know uh, in, around the fringes of rosters and on waivers and that kind of stuff potentially, but that's hard, and and that's and that, and there's a reason those guys are you know fringy guys, and and obviously the Jays have some confidence in their ability to like harness you know the best out of uh, out of pitchers. But, uh, but yeah, sometimes it feels a little unfounded, uh, especially when you watch Kikuchi blow up the way that he did this year. I mean, not just Kikuchi, but also the, all the – like they have not – it just seems like these other teams are have this train rolling of arms that, you know, not necessarily become relief superstars, and we know how volatile relievers can be, and it's understandable in a way that that's not how they've chosen to allocate their resources – but when you don't do that, I think the hope is that internally you're creating, you know, relievers. Often it's starting pitching prospects that don't necessarily come through, but there's multiple avenues for you to get these guys going. And it just seems like whenever they bring up a guy from AAA, and I know that they haven't brought up, you know, the most highly thought of guys necessarily, but, you know, even their whole crop, we've talked about this crop before, kind of the Trent Thornton, Thomas Hatch, you know, Thomas Pannone, you can even go back to like that group of guys who were supposed to Anthony Kay, that group of guys who was supposed to be the depth starters for this team. None of them really emerged in that role. And then you often convince yourself, okay, well, these guys didn't really work out as starter. You know, Thornton has always said, well, if Thornton doesn't work out as starter with that high spin curveball and the way that his fastball could play up a little bit, at least he's going to be a relief weapon. And that's not necessarily the case. And that's what they saw is like, not only have they had a difficult time creating the starting depth and that's forced some, their hand to make some of these moves, but also they're not creating relievers out of failed starters, which is often a, a big avenue for that. And it is a, it is a difficult situation. Like now they have a bullpen full of guys that they traded for essentially, or got in some other way. And so, there's resources that they're putting against that when I know people like to bring up the Rays all the time, but you know, the Dodgers, whoever else, the Yankees seem to be able to unearth relievers once in a while. And I'm not saying that will never happen for the Blue Jays or that they are not capable of doing that. But at the same time, they simply haven't in a pretty decent sample here. And that is, I think slightly concerning because again, the money is going to get tighter and tighter here. And as a result, it is going to be harder to go and shop for relievers, which is something they've been really hesitant to do, especially at the top end of the market. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, that ties up resources that, is, that are going to, you know, you would like to see used in the, on the starting pitching side because, like, yeah, they're going to have to do that. There, I, I don't know that they've necessarily uh, looked past velocity, but it definitely feels, and maybe this is anecdotal, maybe I would have to look at it. But I think, I think you know, you could go through and look at the average fastball of, your, of, of bullpens, and I, I believe they're on the low end, though not necessarily the lowest this year. But, like, the, like have they searched, have they sought out velocity? Uh, in, in a way that is in keeping with you know the way teams operate now, and is this like putting them behind? Because I know you know even though Manoa doesn't throw that hard, and then and, you know it doesn't hundred mile an hour guys don't grow on trees, and you know guys get hurt. You know Nate Pearson could be here, Julia Merriweather could have had a, a different story. Uh, you know Hagen Danner was hurt all year; he's playing in the AFL, and he looks like a guy who can really bring the heat and is on the forty man. They thought so highly of him, so that could be one of those kind of guys who emerges. Uh, you know, they've had some, some bumps in the road to this that maybe make it look worse uh, for their not being there than it, than it really is. But yeah, there isn't a ton, and Zulouette is coming with, with high velocity as well. Uh, but yeah, there isn't a ton of it there. That's been a problem for a couple of years, and it's, you know, it, it's something that you, like you say, you would like to think would be solvable internally without having to trade Rowdy Tellez or, or you know, pump a bunch of money into a, a, a Jimmy Garcia who you think is, uh, you know, who ideally is like a seventh inning guy. I was just checking while you were saying that, and uh, they were 24th this year in bullpen velocity. So that that feels about right. You know, they have, obviously they've got a, an, a Simber who brings that number down. And sometimes there's something to be said for effectiveness, like, in theory, for instance, Trevor Richards could be a guy who solves some of their swing and miss problems because he creates a lot of uh, whiffs with that changeup and with that fastball, even though he doesn't throw particularly hard. And so you don't necessarily need velocity, quote unquote, to get the effect. But in his case, of course, he has enormous issues with walks and home runs and is not reliable whatsoever, at least this season. Uh yeah, it is. It's a tricky path forward for them, kind of with both the middle back end of the rotation and the bullpen. I do want to go on to position players, and I guess the upside here is there isn't that much to talk about with position players. It seemed like a lot of the guys had slightly worse seasons than you'd expect, and we talked about Vladdy on the last episode, and I think we're both pretty bullish on his ability to bounce back. I think you you have to be happy with this group in general. It is a high upside group. It's largely a relatively young group that's at least under control, you know, through 2023. There'll be a bit of an inflection point there with Chapman and Hernandez. The one I think that stands out is that the Blue Jays would have liked, I'm sure, to have the George Springer health issue fade into the background a little bit. Now, there's always going to be some level of maintenance with him and DH days and rest and things like that. But it seemed like his ability to stay healthy, whether he was playing through something or out, was a storyline all season long. And we're only in year two of this contract. And imagine <laughs> this getting significantly better. And yeah, he actually played a decent amount of games. I think about what you'd expect, but he was not at the height of his power for a lot of that. It seems like you get a different player sometimes. Like you get the fully healthy George Springer, who's undoubtedly one of the best hitters in the game. And then you get this sort of compromised George Springer who's fighting and, you know, he deserves credit for the way he battles. It reminds me a little bit of Vernon Wells at times where he would play the whole season, but he'd be hurt in one way or another. And, you know, he wouldn't have a great year at the end of the year, 
and you think, oh man, I, you know, he probably could have done better. Like his stats would look better if he had just gone on the IL here. Springer is, you know, is a worry going forward. And there's a lot of talk about moving him to right field. Like we've started to talk about that a little bit. I think that's fairly reasonable. You know, even we have a, a live chat here from uh, Josh, the Jays fan. And he says, what's more likely Springer to right field DH and adding a center fielder or the status quo for the outfield and a focus on pitching. It's an interesting question. Like, I, I think you can make a pretty good argument that they're going and getting a center fielder would really help with the run prevention. And it would also help Springer, you know, potentially stay healthy, although it won't be a silver bullet for that. I'm wondering where you stand on that. Like, is, is it justifiable to say if I'm going to make my big move, that's for a center fielder at this point to really lock in this position player core and feel good about it? It's just the opportunity cost is tricky with how much they need pitching. Yeah, uh, it's a real tough one. It's a fascinating offseason they got ahead of them. Because um, I mean, the, the biggest predictor of future injuries is past injuries. And so George Springer, yeah, is, and uh, as you get into your 30s, guys don't generally start getting healthier. And it could, you know, it's nice that the, the issues are not necessarily chronic ones. Like it's not the same thing every year. Uh, but it, uh, you know, some guys that just, just, it just gets hurt, get hurt. And sometimes that's just the way that they're, their their bodies are made up sometimes it's the way that they play and he certainly uh plays real hard all the time which you love but also uh can lead to stuff like that um and a great player and i don't think anybody should be bothered by the fact that springer is on the team but you know it would be nice if if it wasn't whit merrifield as your like number two uh center fielder assuming tapia is non-tendered which i think at the number that he's looking at it probably will happen Though, you know, stranger things have happened than the Jays keeping a guy like that, too. Um, but even so, not a great center fielder. Not, you know, you, you would love to, you, you know, you can find a glove. You can find you can find a guy who can, you know, you can find a Bradley Zimmer. You can find Jackie Bradley Jr. who did, you know, perfectly competent jobs um, for what they're asked to do. Um, but, yeah, you have to you have to build in for the fact that Springer is probably going to miss a lot of games and going to need to be at DH a lot of games. Like that's just, that's the roster you've constructed. So I, I understand why people look at Merrifield and be like, is that really a guy you want to run out there in center field? Like 70, 80 times potentially or more, maybe like, I don't want to get too negative on what, what, what Springer's health will be. Hopefully it's as good as possible. Hopefully it's great. Hopefully he plays a full season and doesn't get hurt at all. Uh, but yeah, uh, completely understandable. But also, you have Teoscar, you have Lourdes. They, you know, uh, Gurriel's real interesting. A guy people talk about trading a lot, have a, for a long time. So should have probably stopped once we learned he uh, isn't getting that extra arbitration year and will be a free agent after next season. Uh, just, I don't think there's a ton of value there for a guy who gets hurt as often as he does. I mean, you can, you know, what, like, like, how different is it than, than trading Tellus for Trevor Richards? Like, you know, when it comes down to it, I, I don't know that a team's going to value Gurriel's bat at much more than they did uh, Tellez's bat. So, um, so that will be, uh, the, the, so there's a log jam there a little bit and, and, and you might, you might, you know, take a value loss and you might, if you, if you give up on Gurriel now with one year left, I mean, you're probably going to lose him at the end of next year anyway, but that's, that's a guy who does have the potential to like carry an offense for a bit when he's not being doing the slap hitting thing that he did this year. Um, 
And so that's a bit scary. Uh, and yet, if you want to bring in an everyday center fielder, that's what you start have to thinking start have to start thinking about doing. Uh, you have to start thinking about Teoscar in left field, which uh, has never been his most comfortable position. Which is you know which is which is I guess a way to say. I sort of wonder if maybe the status quo is where they're going to end up on this. Um, it's, it's not, it's not a great compromise, but they are, I think, uh, you know, just because of the resources, because of, you know, they, they don't want to spend a ton of money. They don't, they want to focus on pitching because of the, the they don't want to lose too many prospects. I suspect um, and maybe I'm wrong, but, it, uh, but I just, I think that that's maybe a compromise that you make, which, uh, which is, is, is a tough one, but that's what one's going to have to be made. Though I will say a point on resources before uh, I give it back to you, Nick, is that somebody did tell me, a couple of people told me, uh, that they've heard that Ryu's contract was, has, was in fact insured. So that could give them more uh, wiggle room than, uh, the, than we may be surmising at this point. A couple of things on what you said there. One... I think you're absolutely right on Guriel. Like if you trade Guriel, you're not trading him to get a significant piece in return. You're trading him to make room. Um, and I'm not saying that makes it a bad move. It's something we've sort of noodled on here for a fair amount of time. And I think a lot of people have uh, the idea of moving Guriel and, you know, making your defense better because Teoscar has limitations. And so you don't want to tie up both corners with that kind of defense. The second thing I'm going to say is that I do have an idea this is, I think, the player that the Blue Jays, this is sort of, yeah, a bit of a pie in the sky one. But when I think of here's one player that kind of solves all the Blue Jays problems here, the guy that I turn my attention to is Brian Reynolds with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I know, you know, not necessarily a huge name for a lot of people just because the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, suck and uh, people have not been watching them. But this is a nine-win player over the last two years. He's a switch hitter. He plays center field. And he's, you know, next year he would cost $6.75 million with two more years of control. So he's starting to be at that point where, like, he's not going to play for a good Pirates team. And so you can imagine them thinking that he's someone they can get something for. Fangraphs ranked him in their top 40 from a trade value perspective. So this is not an easy player to get necessarily. Um, but he's one that jumps off the page to me. I'm, I'm looking at, can a guy play center field? Is he potentially a left-handed bat as a luxury? Does he have some control? Is he expensive? And he's someone who checks all those boxes for me. Now, that does not mean that this guy's going to the Blue Jays by any means, but I think about their links to the Pirates front office, and there has been discussions between those teams and a variety of players. It hasn't really come through the way they have with Miami and with Oakland, for instance, but that is one player that's a little bit kind of outside the box type of thinking, because I just don't think it would be easy to address this in free agency um, that appeals to me as an idea for the Blue Jays in terms of put him in center, move Springer to right, move Teoscar to left, even if it hasn't been his best position, quote unquote, like I'm inclined to believe that he can be fine there or be whatever his version of fine is, and then ship Gurriel out uh, as whatever for, as part of a package for a reliever or whatever that ends up being nothing significant presumably yeah i, I think that's a really good maybe it was you that, was, that tweeted this but i've, I've definitely have seen somebody tweet about reynolds and, and a pirates reliever maybe that's enough that you feel okay moving a moreno to pittsburgh or something like that which i think is and then this is something i wrote the other day which you know the, the catching surplus it, it sucks because everybody likes all these guys 
but that's you know that's their best bet to to if they're going to make a big trade i think is to trade from that because it is a surplus because you don't want to lose the the, the like tiedemann or you know any other you know potential starting pitcher that that's coming up the pipeline that, that we're not thinking as much about um you know, it's just, it's right there. And then it's like, it's a move that has to be made. And that, I, I don't know what Pittsburgh's interest in that would be, but uh, they obviously don't have a ton of good players. And I think, yeah, I know last year Reynolds was a name that was, that was bandied about as well. And you kind of, you were like, oh, look how far away he is from free agency. Can he not really, can he really not be part of the next good Pirates team? And now a year later, you're like, you, you definitely feel like maybe that ship is sailing. Uh, and that maybe there is more of an opportunity there. I, I think that I think that would be absolutely a smart move. Um, and if they could, you know, if they could do that from the catching surplus, that would probably that would probably make a lot of sense. Even even if it rules them out from um, uh, from from using that in order to get some pitching, because that that, that would make a ton of sense. Yeah, I mean, it is sad from a Pirates perspective, like you said. Like, couldn't this guy really be part of the next team that's any good? And it's like, no, they are so far away. <laughs> they are very, very far away. It's just biased from, like, having going down to see the Pittsburgh-Toronto uh, series this year. But, man, just even just watching that team up close, like, they they don't have players. They just don't. They have, like, a couple of players. Uh, and it is – I guess it's it's a little bit of a reminder of – you know, the luxury of watching a team that is good. Like the Blue Jays are a good team. Uh, they're a flawed team. There's questions about the direction. Like we're doing a whole negativity episode and we are going to fill our time with that. Um, but it's not the Pittsburgh Pirates. So that's, yes. you know, a little, little piece of perspective. <laughs> um, before we get out of here, I do want to talk about the 2021-2022 window. Um, because out of those two teams, which were both good teams, the Blue Jays got no postseason wins. Uh, and I think that's got to be considered pretty disappointing. Like you had the Marcus Simeon and the Robbie Ray season come together on those magic one-year deals in 2021. And, you know, with Barrios coming across at the deadline and what that looked like it had potential to be, you know, this year, you know, you've got Springer and Ryu kind of their effectiveness probably waning over time. Like Ryu this year gets hurt. He's probably done. We've probably seen the best of Springer as a Blue Jay. I don't know definitively if that's true because when, on his performance, like he doesn't seem to age that much, but you know, he's getting significantly older. He's getting to the mid thirties right now. Vladdy and Bo getting into arbitration, like you're paying these guys and a lot of the ability to spend over the last few years has been, you know, Vladdy and Bo don't cost anything. So we can open up the wallets for these veterans a little bit. That time is kind of coming to an end. So you, and also the time is coming to an end where you kind of assume these guys are going to get better every year. Like when they're 21, 22, you're like, oh, well, next year they're going to be even better. And now they're more like, you know, tw going to be 24, 25. It's no longer fair to kind of look at the aging curve and be like, oh, they're going to be better than we've seen. And that's going to drive the improvement. Like it's a young position player core, but there aren't a lot of guys where you can just assume that, you know, with the exception maybe of Gabriel Moreno. Uh, where you can assume they're just going to be better by virtue of their youth and experience. And while 2021 was arguably early based on people's expectations, 2020 certainly was, although that was not a really good team. It, uh, you know, it, it felt like for a long time, there's like, oh, this window is going to be open for so long. And I'm not saying that it's shut. Um, 
by any means, especially because in 2023, you've got Teoscar and you've got Matt Chapman, and that's a huge part of what your lineup brings to the table. But I think you'll look back at these years as a wasted opportunity because these young guys were so good and so cheap, and uh, that's not going to be the case in the years to come. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything there. It's uh, yeah, this this has been talked about for a very very long time about you know, how important it is to have good young players. Um, you know, taking advantage, the team taking advantage of the the baseball's economic system that allows those guys to get paid nothing, or relative, you know, baseball nothing. Um, and yeah, once once Bo and Vlad get there there you know there's gonna be you know they really kind of locked in this team in a lot of ways uh last off season which is why you know this year in particular i think is so disappointing i mean last year the not much you could do about it i mean uh, that was that was a, that was a better team than this year's team uh and uh and and you know these things happen but yeah they're, they're you know they're, these things tend to add up and they absolutely need to uh, need to take advantage of this window while they can, or they're going to have to start to rethink, you know, what they, what, what the future looks like. And maybe it's not, you know, locking up Bo and Vlad beyond, you know, to go in tandem with Gosman and Barrios and, and Manoa and all that. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's, there's a shift that comes at some point. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think, you know, uh, I, I don't think a rebuild is in, in an order. You know, there's still the, the level of talent is still very high and can, maintained i think for a really long time i don't think that's you know that's maybe way way in the future we don't have to think about that but yeah where where is it going you know the i think it will be it will be very it'll be an interesting question when we're talking about this in a year what uh, what you know where where the future lies because i think next year will will be really telling and will you know can they squander another opportunity of this window and uh, what pressures will that put on the front office from, you know, what they have to do in order to fix it and just what they, you know, whether they should continue in their jobs, probably, uh, you know, that's getting way ahead of ourselves in the negativity. Uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. There's all the reason to think that it won't. There's a full off season and, and still enough resources that they will be able to, to make improvements and fill in the gaps that they need to fill in. But it's, uh, but it's definitely, it's definitely something to think about and something that uh, that, yeah, if this sort of goes sideways on them, uh, we will probably look back at 2021 and 2022 as uh, as like really real missed opportunities. It's very hard to project what this ownership is going to do just because that's. You know, it's a corporate ownership. You don't have like the, you know, the the old billionaire guy who wants to brag about his great team and talks about it in the media all the time, although that model is kind of going a little bit by the wayside anyway. It's very easy to imagine continuing the success if you up payroll. If you're like, okay, this group is really good. We're going to grow with this group. We're going to keep adding as these guys cost more money. We're going to keep adding at the same rate we have in the past. To me, it just feels naive to believe that's actually what's going to happen. Like, I I understand they might raise the payroll a little bit, but also, you know, this is an ownership group that is a corporate ownership uh, and they will be very, you know, revenue focused and return on investment focused. And the fact that they've been unable to generate that playoff revenue, I think hurts their ability 
to just keep pushing and keep adding and keep growing at the rate I think you'd have to to maintain the quality of this team with the same players and the same core. We're going to see a big test of that at the end of next season with Chapman and Hernandez and how they choose to deal with that or if they choose to deal out at some point in the offseason. Um, but yeah, I would describe myself as kind of mildly pessimistic on their medium-term outlook just because what I've seen so far is like this team only kind of started spending in free agency and on these extensions with a guy like Barrios kind of as a result of the fact that in the bag, they had all these guys who didn't cost anything and were core parts of the team. And that was a luxury that they could build upon and it allowed them to just act in a different way than I think they would generally do. And when those guys, whether it's through extensions, whether it's just through arbitration, get more expensive, I'm skeptical that you're going to keep being like, oh, every offseason, the Blue Jays are going to make you know a big marquee addition. You know, that's what we've gotten used to over the last few years. It just doesn't seem to me that that's a fair expectation based on what we've seen. Now, I'd be happy to be wrong about that. It would be more interesting if this team keeps fighting to get better and better around this core. Like, it's already an entertaining and it's a good product, and it'd be fun to see an even better product. But, uh, yeah, I, I'll have to see to believe it. And this is kind of the first offseason where you might see the, like, oh, wait, the Blue Jays didn't really go out and get a notable name, which I think would disappoint a lot of people coming off a rough ending to the season. It is. They're in a tricky spot. It's going to be really fascinating. Uh, I, I think, I mean, Mark Sparrow said himself, you know, that they, he, when asked about, you know, pushing up to the competitive balance tax threshold, basically said no. And that was when the threshold was 210 and it's now, you know, going, it's like 230 or 233 and going up, you know, escalating because of the new CBA. Uh, I don't know which one he meant. I don't know if he just meant that wherever it is, they won't quite be able to ever get there. They have maintained that they want to be in a top, the top 10 in payroll, which I think is kind of absurd, you know, considering the market and how, you know, how, you know, all the things we know about the TV numbers, you know, the, the strength of the wealth of the city, all that, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it, I think that Rogers has earned people's skepticism over the years and the, the last couple of years shouldn't have taught us that, like, that things are completely new though. I, it feels better and it feels like Shapiro has, uh, Edward Rogers ear and that this is a, this is a project that's kind of outside of the bounds in a little bit of the corporate world and of the, the suits that, uh, would normally be trying to rein in the spending. I mean, like the money they're dumping into the, the dome, they don't have to do that. You know, that's, uh, you know, I'm sure that there is a, uh, an economic argument for it. And then they think they can get more revenue. They want to extract more revenue out of people. That's, that's the, that's the game. Um, but I know, I understand people being skeptical, uh, looking at, at the expenditure that's going to go into that and thinking, well, that's going to end up, you know, somehow coming out of payroll as well. And I, I don't know the payroll is going to go back. I don't think that it's, you know, I don't know, but, but the idea that it might stagnate at some point, maybe not this off season, uh, is, is I think one that should be be very real in people's minds, and then when you start actually looking at you know what's on the books and what's going to have to be on the books to keep Bo and Vlad around, uh, you, you you start to wonder. And I think that I I don't think that that's necessarily driving the impulses that I know I know what's driving the impulses that people have to uh, to to run Bo Bichette out of town, and it's because he's not a great defensive shortstop and you know wasn't good until like the last month of the year, but. Um, 
So maybe that, maybe, you know, I, I'm skeptical of that. And I think the Jays you know, com- are committed there and believe in him and, uh, and, and would shock me if they dealt him. But also, you know, maybe that is something that, that gets explored and, 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 you know, in a baseball trade kind of way, not in a revenue shedding kind of way, in a way that, that uh, you know, because that is an appealing trade piece too. I certainly don't think it's going to happen this year, but I didn't think Charlie Montoya was going to get fired either. So what the hell do I know? All right. Well, that is a nice, uh, let's leave it on a tone of uncertainty with dark <laughs> clouds for the future. That's on brand for this particular episode. We will be back with you on Saturday. That will not be a thematic episode. It will be more addressing, you know, the news of the day, I believe, of which there will be some, hopefully. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Maybe they'll but have a manager if, hired by that. Who knows? And if... <laughs> Yeah, so if you're worried that this is all we do now is just really doom and gloom, that's not what you'll see on Saturday. Uh, And we look forward to speaking with you then. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, everybody.